You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Finding God, Seeing Christ in the Darkness. As we enter the darkest, coldest period of the year, we remember the cold, dark period when ancient Israel waited for a deliverer who would free them from oppression. We ask, where is our hope? And how do we see him in a world that still seems gripped by the forces of darkness and decay? And we'll discover together that darkness cannot overcome the light. Now hear the word of the Lord. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven." Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I can return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It is good to see you all here. And hello to everyone at home. Welcome to the first Sunday of Advent, uh, which is our, our season of waiting and preparation. Advent is a time of year that we observe every year on the church calendar uh, to intentionally slow down, uh, to be more reflective, to be quiet uh, in some ways the way nature is. And as, as I've thought about what Advent means and the rhythms of Advent, it's kind of felt like 2020 has been one long Advent. Um, lots of isolation, lots of slowness, lots of quiet. How was Thanksgiving for you guys? Well, good. I was intended to be rhetorical, but I appreciate the crowd participation. Uh, We're trying to move in that direction. So leading the way as always, Dr. Broadstone, I appreciate it. Um, Well, as some of you guys know, my wife and I, um, we started renovating an old house uh, about a year ago. And we had the deadline that the contractor gave us and then the worst-case scenario deadline that he gave us. And then in our minds, we said, as long as we're in by Thanksgiving, we'll have have accomplished our goal. And we had dreams of a Thanksgiving with a warm fire going and family gathered around and filling, you know, great first 
major holiday in this wonderful new home that we've prepared, a home filled with laughter and cousins and children running around. Um, We were longing for our first Thanksgiving in a home that we had poured our literal blood and sweat and tears into. Um, And instead, we ordered three pounds of turkey from Huber's and we FaceTimed with family across the country. Collectively, so I mean us as a people, and really us as a nation, uh, we've experienced more in the last 10 months than I think many of us are aware of, and certainly more than any of us individually can hold. Um, There's the obvious. We've had a pandemic. Uh, We had the lockdown. Uh, Many of us have friends and family who've been sick. Many of us have friends and family who've been hospitalized and even passed on to the Lord. We saw racism once again surface in our country, giving way to protest, sometimes to violence and to riots. We saw a presidential election that was filled with lies and side-taking and name-calling. Our church, to me at least, has felt divided. Some have left, some have stayed, but I think we all feel it, even if we're not sure what the it is. A year that in, in some ways has been too long and too hard and too much. Um, I think we are all feeling in various ways the stress of this past year, uh, the pain of this past year, maybe the pain of this past Thanksgiving from just a few days ago. Uh, and now we're, we're weeks away from Christmas, and life for many of us feels, frankly, bleak. And I don't think I don't think we do ourselves or each other any favors by trying to act like we're living something other than what we're living. A year of, of consola- uh, cancellations and postponements, a year of delays and losses, of changes and unknowns and uncertainties. And so, how are you? How's your relationship with the Lord? How is your relationship with his people? These are all questions that the season of Advent is intended to force us to ask. God is, God is easy to find when life is going our way. Have you ever noticed how close to the Lord you feel after you get a promotion or after your kid recites a Bible verse they've memorized to you or on the perfect fall day when the sun is setting wonderfully and a blue jay flies right across and lands on your shoulder? You, you know, life is... God is easy to find when life is going our way. Here at the church, he's easy to find on Baptism Sunday. But how do we find God when we're surrounded by so much loss and uncertainty? I think, I don't think, I believe that we can only find God if we know who we're looking for. And we can only know who we're looking for if we know who he has revealed himself to be. You'll never find something if you don't know what you're looking for. If you're looking for God, you will only find him if you know who he has revealed himself to be. He's not a mystery out there. He's one who has disclosed himself. So you have to know who it is we're looking for if you want to look for God. Everyone is looking for God, I would argue, in one way or another. Someone or something to explain all of this, whether the this is the goodness of this or the pain of this. 
Everyone is looking for an answer, and each one of us will find some kind of answer to explain it all, even if the explanation is it's all meaningless. But there is only one that leads to life, one answer that leads to life, to finding the true God, the one who has revealed himself in the Scriptures and ultimately in his Son, Jesus Christ. And so in these weeks of Advent to come, we want to learn how to find God, especially in this kind of darkness, by looking at stories from his scriptures where he has revealed himself, where he has shown up and said, this is who I am and this is what I'm like. And we're going to begin this morning with a famous story that some of you may know as Jacob's Ladder or Jacob's Stairway. Um, To try to get some of the imagery right in your mind at least, uh, ladder in this text is some kind, sometimes translated staircase, depending on which translation you're most familiar with or spend your time in, you'll see ladder or you'll see staircase. Uh, the, what's in all likelihood being referred to here is an ancient ziggurat. I really wanted to say pyramid, but it's not a pyramid. I never sent you that ziggurat picture. Did you grab one, Bobby? Do we have one? Wow, Bobby Gillis, that's a terrible picture. Did you draw that yourself in Microsoft Paint? I'll find another one in between services. But think of like a Mesopotamian step pyramid, you know, where it's got these tiers. So that's a ziggurat, and there would be these long staircases up the middle of it. So when, you, when we get to that part in the story, you need to imagine not like a floating ladder. When I first read of Jacob's ladder, I was so nervous, like, who's holding the ladder up? You know, because there's just this ladder floating in a field, or is it a staircase? Well, what's under the staircase? It's, think of a step pyramid that's, that's going up. So that's the context of this story in terms of the imagery, but, you know, if you haven't read Genesis much or haven't spent much time there, you may be wondering, why is Jacob out in the middle of a field anyway? What's he doing in the middle of nowhere, sleeping in a field? Well, right before this, listen to what Jacob's mother says to him. Esau, that's his brother, is consoling himself by plotting to kill you. So listen carefully, my son. Get ready and flee to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay there with him until your brother cools off. Jacob is on the run. Jacob deceived his father and he stole his brother's blessing. And Esau understandably was furious. And what was his strategy for calming himself down? He's plotting to kill his brother. Gives you an idea of how upset he is. Jacob deceived his father because he thought it would give him a better life. He thought if he took something that he wanted in the way that he wanted it, it would work out well for him. And I don't know the, the answer precisely to this, but it's, it's just really struck me this week as I've been thinking about it. What makes a child deceive his father and cheat his brother? What is going on in the heart of that kid? What if your first time to be truly alone in life wasn't you know, when you maybe went to college or your first apartment or getting married? What if, what if the first time you were truly alone was because you were fleeing a brother filled with murderous rage? This is, as far as I can tell from the text, the first time in Jacob's life he was truly alone. I wonder if Jacob remembered God's promise to his father. Earlier in Genesis, God says this to Isaac, I will be with you and bless you. I don't know if you're aware of this. Isaac 
was the first person in history who was promised this. Not just that God would take care of him or, or would give something to him. Isaac was the first one that was promised by God, I will be with you. You will get my presence. You will get my nearness. And I can't help but wonder if lying there in the cold and lonely darkness, did Jacob ask God, where are you? Where are you now? And he falls asleep in one of the most beautiful and heart-wrenching details provided to us in the scriptures with his head on a stone. And he dreams. Verse 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway. So think of that pyramid resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So he dreams of a pyramid a ziggurat, a temple. And he sees angels going up and down on it. In, in your Bible, if you have one, or it would be in the seat back, you'll probably see a little note there by verse 13 that said he stood above it. Um, it's, there's a weird word there that could be translated above or beside. I think beside him is a way better translation because in verse 15, it says, I will be with you. And doesn't it, so imagine God standing on top of a giant pyramid saying, I will be with you. <laughs> does that make more sense? Or does it make more sense in what's saying here that he's saying, I will be with you as he's standing right here beside him. There beside him at the foot of the steps, God says, I will be with you. God did not ask Jacob to ascend the stairway and find God. God came down the staircase and he found Jacob. So what can we learn about God here? In an, in an advent like ours, what does this story reveal to us about what God is like and how we might find him? One of the first things that strikes me is the reality that God is always found in a particular place. We know, theologically, the, the word omnipresence. I taught that word to my children the other day. Omnipresence means God is everywhere. We know that, and we can confess that, but God is revealing to us here that he meets us in a particular place. Yes, he is a God of cosmic omnipresence, who is in all places at all times, but there he is standing beside Jacob at the foot of this heavenly staircase. God always meets us in a particular place. He never meets us out there. He always meets us right here. Well, what in the world are you talking about, preacher? Uh, the invitation for us is to slow down and to learn how to be where we are with the expectation that God will meet us right here. Right here is the only place God will ever meet us. So practically, what do I mean? I mean, he will meet you while your kids are trying to be in school over a 10-year-old iPad. Anybody have outdated tech that they're trying to run their kids through? 
10-year-old iPad working the Zoom and God will meet you right there. God will meet you when you have bills that need to be paid and you're not sure where your next paycheck is going to come from. He will meet you when you have dishes that need to be cleaned. We cannot... (laughs) I hope this makes sense. I was telling one of the musicians before, it makes so much sense in my mind. I'm not sure if it'll make sense in my words. So, Lord, be merciful. We cannot meet God right here if we do not know where we are. And so one way that we do this is we, we live out in the future and we think once we get there, then I will meet with God or then something will happen. And we begin living our lives in the future tense. And so what are some of the ways we're doing that right now? Well, once the vaccine comes, then fill in the blank. Once the mask mandate expires, then fill in the blank. Once the election results are confirmed one way or the other, then, then, once this happens, when we, we orient our lives out there in the future. And so listen, if we are so focused on tomorrow or whatever is waiting for us over there, the abstract, ambiguous, out there, over there, we will never meet the God who always meets us in a particular place. This is an invitation for us to slow down, receive the place that God has placed us, and begin looking for God who always meets us in a particular place. There's so many wonderful details in this story. Jacob knew what he was sleeping on. He names it. There's a stone that I'm sleeping on. He knew, do you know the brand name of your pillow? I would guess most of us do not. He knew the pillow he was sleeping on. He knew the name of the place he was sleeping on. And then he renamed it. And then he set up a pillar for this specific place to remember the God who meets him in a particular place. It's an invitation for us to pay attention to where we live. Do you know the names of your streets? Do you know the names of your neighbors? Have you noticed the trees on your street? Which trees are changing colors first and last? Which trees have fallen and which ones haven't? Do you know where you are? Do you know how you are? When's the last time you checked in with your body? What do I mean? When's the last time you sat down and said, how is my body feeling? What is my body carrying? Have I noticed that I'm hurting somewhere that I don't normally hurt in? Or I feel, you ever, I promise you, most of you, a lot of you, when you slow down and pay attention to your body, you'll realize you walk around with your shoulders up most of the time because you're tense and you're anxious. Have you taken inventory of where you are and how you are? God meets us in particular places. So we must learn to know where we are and how we are right now, not then, not how I will be, not where I will be, but where I am right now. God meets us in a particular place. The second lesson, now this is one that made me uncomfortable, you guys. The second lesson is God meets us by particular grace. Not just an abstract grace. We know God is a God of grace and of love, but he meets us in a particular place with grace that is just for us. If you don't know the story of Jacob's life, I really encourage you to go back and spend some time in the book of Genesis. For those of you who do know some about his life, isn't it fascinating and slightly uncomfortable how unworthy of this experience Jacob is? He's on the run. 
because his brother wants to kill him. He's on the run because he lied to his dad and cheated his family. His name means deceiver or trickster. He's not a good guy. But, but God had made a promise to his father. And God always keeps his promises. Did you notice that God did not wait for Jacob to come up to the staircase? Did you notice in the dream at the top of this pyramid, God didn't say, come up here, I need to speak to you. Do you notice that God did not wait for Jacob to repent of his deception? Did you notice that God did not say, go make things right with Esau and then we can talk about it? To put it real simply, God did not wait for Jacob to clean his life up. No, God came down. God came near and he gives Jacob something he does not deserve. This story reveals that the true God always meets us in a particular place and he does so by particular grace, a grace specific to who you are and to how you are and to where you are. A grace that is not contingent upon your performance or your promises. It's contingent upon God's mercy and love. In some ways, it's just, it's contingent on God's desire to keep his own promises. So as you learn to pay attention to the place that you are in, to name it, to learn how to be here now, you may be tempted to think of all the reasons you have to believe that God is no longer with you. Maybe you'll think of all the things that you've done that should disqualify you from the presence of God. Maybe you'll think of all the things that you've left undone that should disqualify you from the presence of God. Maybe you will look at the circumstances of your life and think you've been disqualified from the presence of God. But the God of the Bible is showing us over and over and over that he meets us by grace, even when you are on the run, even when your pillow is a stone. The God of the Bible comes to you with grace just for you. So as you pay attention to where you are, and this will take some time, maybe Advent is a time for you to learn some new rhythms that can carry you into the next season of life, As you learn to pay attention to your world around you, look for signs of God's grace peeking through, evidence of of God's nearness to you. What is something that you can see and receive as evidence that he is good and he is beautiful and he's paying attention to you? It could be something small and ordinary. It could be, we take coffee real seriously at our church. You all know this. It could be like the miracle of having coffee beans from Ethiopia in your kitchen every morning. I mean, that is a miracle. And maybe you particularly delight in that. And you can receive a simple cup of coffee as evidence that God has given you something good. Maybe it's a timely phone call that you received and you were encouraged that they called you. How much more encouraged can you you be if you're willing to receive that as evidence that God knows you needed that phone call, that God was paying attention to you? Maybe it's the gift of a quiet morning when the kids are still asleep and the work is yet to be done and you get a few moments to yourself. 
Maybe it's a fresh promise that you see in the scriptures. My point is the grace of God is always coming to us, regardless of whether or not you think you deserve it. The best we can do is open our eyes to see it and to look for it. God promises he will stand right beside us in the darkness, and this is a promise by grace, which means you have all you need to receive it. If God's promises come to us by grace right now, with wherever you are and whatever you've done, you have everything you need to receive the promises of God. God meets us in a particular place, and he does so by particular grace. And he meets us through a particular person. And this brings us to the sweetest promise of Advent. I don't, sometimes I read the Old Testament stories and I get fussy uh, because I've asked God for dreams like this. I'm not part of the special supernatural family, the most important family that's ever lived. And so why does Jacob get this kind of a dream? Why does he get this kind of an experience? There have been many fugitives who have had cold, lonely nights in the wilderness without such a vision. I'm guessing in the last nine months, many of us have had one or many cold and lonely nights where we did not receive a vision like this. Many years later, uh, shepherds were sitting in a field on a cold and lonely night. And as they had with Jacob, angels descended, but the angels come with an announcement. In Luke chapter 2, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Listen very closely. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Good news that will cause joy for all the people, not just you, not just this one family. A promise is being fulfilled that is not just for one great man who is a part of one great family, but to all people. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. A Savior has been born to you. His name is Jesus. But that's not all we call him. And that is not all that the scriptures call him. This glorious day, the birth of a Savior in the town of David was prophesied long ago. And listen to the name that the prophet Isaiah gave this promised child in Isaiah 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. If you want to look for God, you have to look for the God who always meets you in a particular place by particular grace. And you have to look for a God whose name is Emmanuel. Not the God who is out there, but the God who is right here. We don't need to look for a grand staircase leading us to God. We have to look for the God who descended the staircase and came to us, and his name is Jesus. He dwelt among us. He carried the sorrows of his people. So if you cannot see where you are and you cannot find the grace of God, then it is good that you are with us this morning, whether here or at home, because we get to receive the evidence we need in this simple meal that is so filled with grace and hope. And it's one reason that we practice it every week. We remember the night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread and he broke it. 
He said, this is my body given for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. After the meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this and remember what I've done for you. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android, where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.